Welcome back, everybody. Very fun episode today. Uh, we've got Jason McLennan. A lot of you have maybe seen him on the uh, Hangar One, the UFO Files. He was the uh, one of the main organizers of UFO Congress for five years. Very well-spoken, very level-headed guy, and uh, hard to get a definitive answer out of. You know, if we sometimes might try to pin him in a corner, he's very open-minded to the fact that both sides have legitimate info. And it's going to be tough because we have two Jasons, so maybe... This Jason will be Jay, and that Jason will be Jason, but uh, we'll do our best to figure it out, and uh, I'm excited. What about you? Oh, I'm looking forward to this. I have, uh, this is going to be a great episode, I believe. Yes, I think so, too. So we'll be right back with uh, our next guest, Mr. Jason McClendon on UAP Studies Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of UAP Studies Podcast. I am Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good buddy, Jason Gilman. How are you? I'm fantastic today. It's a nice day outside. I've been playing a lot of chess this week, but I've been looking forward to this uh, interview as well. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Like I always say, a Sunday that we get to talk about UAPs or UFOs is a good Sunday. For sure. And uh, the more we talk about consciousness and going down the rabbit hole with this whole UFO thing, the more cerebral we get. And I guess chess is your new outlet for that. It's my new outlet. <laughs> Love it. So we have a very cerebral guy in the show today. A super cool guy. Many of you have seen him on television shows. Uh, he's an author, a podcaster, a TV personality, a researcher. Uh, used to uh, be on Hangar One, the UFO Files. Uh, he was also the co-star of Roswell, The Final Verdict. And uh, for five years, he was the organizer and technical producer of the uh, UFO Congress, um, you know, show or, or you know, uh, event. So a uh, guy knows a lot about this, the scene and the tour and we want to kind of get to know him and also what he thinks of what's been going on in the last six months and where we're going from here. So uh, a very warm welcome to the show, Mr. Jason McLennan. Thank you so much, guys. I am happy to be here and really looking forward to the conversation with you guys. I know uh, I've been putting you off for some time now. I'm glad we finally made this happen. For sure. And everybody's busy. We get that and ourselves included. And uh, we're happy we can make it happen. So uh, for those of our viewers that don't know who you are, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. And what got you into UFOs and all this crazy stuff we're talking about now? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I've been going down this rabbit hole for, for many years now. It was probably, uh, if I think about it now, probably 2008, 2009, when I started in this field professionally. But I had my first uh, first sighting, first personal sighting in 1997, the Phoenix Lights, because I, I live in Phoenix and was fortunate enough to experience that event for myself. Um, that wasn't necessarily a catalyst to start me down this rabbit hole. Uh, I was offered a position actually by a wealthy individual who wanted to start a company all about UFOs and extraterrestrials. So I described to people that UFOs fell on my lap because it, it literally did. I was offered this opportunity to start a UFO company and that's what we did. So for a period of seven years or so, that was my full-time profession full-time investigating and writing about UFOs and extraterrestrial life. That company was Open Minds. It no longer exists in its uh, you know full form, but we published an internationally distributed print magazine all about UFOs and extraterrestrials. We produced the largest annual UFO conference focused on UFOs. Um, and we got that recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records, which was really cool at the time. 
Um, but we, we did TV, we did video or you know, we had a video studio in our office. So we got to do a lot of that in the early days of YouTube and, and, uh, you know, er early days of, of Twitter and Facebook as well. It was an inter interesting time, early days of social media, um, and thinking back to how we operated then and how things are now, uh, we were kind of ahead of our time, but, uh, you know, it was a, a great experience and with the, through the Congress and through open minds, that really threw me down the rabbit hole, um, really threw me into the community. And because of our magazine, because of our conference, I really got to know very quickly and became fast friends with all of the leading researchers in the field. Everybody wanted to speak at our conference. Everybody wanted to be associated with our magazine. Everybody wanted to share their stories and their research. So that was tremendously helpful for me and definitely got me up to speed very quickly on this field, the history of it, and uh, and the future of it as well. It must have been a great feeling to have these people reach out to you and and want to be part of this. And you know, I don't know if it was immediate when you guys started, or if it's something that grew naturally over time. But that must have been you know quite flattering to have all these people just say, "Hey, I want to be part of this." Absolutely. I mean, it, it was it was such an incredible experience and a, and a great position to be in. And at the time, you know, and I think back on this quite often, but at the time, you know, I was hearing about and, and, and learning about these people for the very first time because I was very new to, to researching this field. So at the time, you know, I don't think I fully appreciated a lot of that, but, uh, you know, I, I grew to appreciate it very quickly. And I think fondly back on that time uh, quite, quite often. And when you first started, were you a believer or what, did you become a believer through the investigations? Well, as you guys very well know, um, <laughs> you spend more time in this and man, you, your eyes open, open wider. You start exploring whole other worlds that you didn't even consider when you started. You know, it starts off as, as just lights in the sky and then spirals out of control from there. So it definitely opened up an entirely new world to me that I didn't even know existed in terms of how how broad this topic really can get. Right. Um, you know, I, I started out looking and I'd, I'd had UFO sightings before. And, and to me, I always had an interest, a strong interest in in space, in extraterrestrial life, in, in sci-fi. I was a big sci-fi geek. I still am. You know, I grew up watching Star Wars and Star Trek. Um, so I had that fascination and that uh that desire to know about the mysteries of the universe and just, just contemplating life elsewhere. Right? To me, that was always a no brainer that the universe is teeming with life. Um, and I grew up in a place where I had a fantastic view of the night sky so I could sky watch to my heart's content. I always saw strange things zipping through the sky and at the time didn't necessarily think much more of it other than, wow, that's bizarre. I really wonder what that is. You know, I had that curiosity but when I started in the UFO field professionally, that's when I really started thinking back on, on times from my, my childhood and growing up. And, and that influenced me going forward with research, um, really contemplating possibilities. Have you noticed uh, any changes from when you first started doing this and, you know, the conference scene? And then I guess 2017 happens and all the whole disclosure movement since then uh anything notable from before and now or either in people's perceptions or how we're treating each other it's a really difficult thing to try to compare different time periods because as i alluded to earlier um social media really changed the landscape 
you know, not just for UFOs, for everything. We now have this stream of consciousness that we we get to peer into everybody's lives and everybody's brains all the time. So, you know, I don't know. It, it just it makes research and and trying to gauge public reaction and things like that a totally different ballgame. So, I mean, comparing now, even 10 years ago, it's worlds different. Just how how it seemingly how people are reacting to this and how they're accepting it um, to what it was then. But it's it's really difficult to to gauge because social media was was still in its infancy when we when we were doing this. Um, so I don't know. It, it's hard to hard to kind of play the game now and and see how different it is. Yeah. Even the experts, I mean, they've changed their minds a dozen times, at least the open-minded, humble ones, guys like Jacques Vallée and that, that sort of thing. But Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's a requirement. I mean, we're dealing with the unknown. And when you're dealing with the unknown, this is an individual journey for everybody. Yes, I think team efforts are fantastic. They have their value and their place. But ultimately, when it comes to things like UFOs, that when we get down to the nitty gritty, the large majority of it we don't have concrete evidence. We don't have proof that we would all like. It comes down to personal belief and we each have to decide what pieces of evidence we're going to accept, how much weight we're going to give those and where that's going to fit into our personal beliefs. Right. Yeah. And we get some some bad, and I shouldn't say bad heat, but people complain and say, it's not UAP, that's a stupid acronym. They're UFOs and consciousness has nothing to do with UFOs. And that's great until it's potentially not true. And then you got to open your mind to that, you know? So yeah. I think some people want it to be ufology from the seventies, you know, it's uh, it's nuts and bolts and that's about all it is. But the more you go down the rabbit hole and the more information we learn and the more quantum level this seems to become, you're going to prevent yourself from growing. And Jason made a good point, you know, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I think you said that the whole study of ufology as it is now, it's actually going to help us get there you know, on a, on a, a brain level, you know, like it's good food. And like, these are like mathematical problems, but they're, you know, the big questions, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Are there others that is going to help us as a species to grow and kind of enrich our brains to get that, that we're seeking. So take the blinders off. Don't be scared to, to step outside your comfort zone. That seems to be the message we're getting from a lot of our guests. Yeah. Not only that, but the craft seems to operate on a consciousness level as well. We've talked to a few people and it's like, even some people said, I flew the craft. Okay, how did you fly the craft? It was through my consciousness. Like I was the craft. I was able to, that's mind blowing to me. Like, you know, the more that we research into different things. And even you mentioned earlier that you got into different things. Uh, you know, we get into cryptids, we get into Bigfoot. All things that I thought I would never talk or touch about, you know, or, or talk about or uh, touch on, I should say. Uh, I ended up, You've you know, touching Bigfoot again. I've been, you know, <laughs> I can't help you myself, us, man. I can't help myself. Uh, but no, it's all, it's all. Even the opportunity, I would touch Bigfoot too. I, I mean, I couldn't help myself. I'm a little 100%. bit worried. I think that thing would get pissed and just rip off an arm <laughs> or something like a Wookiee, right? Or there. really yeah. like it. I or yeah, either or you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble either way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, no, we got into different stuff. Uh, the the cryptids, and you know, we've been talking with uh, George uh, Knapp, and he's talking about like how he carried some stuff home with him from Skinwalker Ranch. You're like, I don't think he's making that up. Like, it's George Knapp for crying out loud. He's an icon. I don't think he ruin his reputation by saying something like that right so have you 
delved much. I know you've delved a lot into the other subjects, the cryptids and Bigfoot and all that. Uh, do you think they're all related in some way? You know, if you go down <laughs> this path of researching the unknown, the mysteries of the universe, you have to come to the point where that's part of your your research. You have to be able to consider the possibility right. that they are. Right. Everything is on the table when you're dealing with the unknown. Everything is possible. You can't cross it off the list until you can cross it off the list. So I always entertain all possibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it seems to be, you know, wherever there's Bigfoot sightings, there's also UAP sightings. Um, sure. Here in British Columbia, we have uh, a town, uh, Harrison, that is, celebrates Bigfoot. And they say that, you know, the natives there say they see them all the time. We yeah. also have a lot of UAP activity in the area. So it seems to be a correlation between the two, or at least they're whatever's going on is attracting to both of them. If they're not related, at least there's something there, a commonality that uh, that they have in common. Yeah, it's fascinating when you look into some of these these seemingly correlating events, um, and it's hard not to draw those conclusions. Right, uh, but but you know, so things like that are what keep this this looking into the unknown so fascinating and intriguing for me. Right, they're they're just the head scratchers, yeah. always. And you know, like James Fox said, and so many other researchers say, the more the more time you spend in this field, the less you know. Because yeah. you start discovering these these additional paths that go this way and the paths that go this way. And it just becomes even more mind-boggling if that's even possible. Yeah. And in terms of information coming down, like let's chat about governments and sort of UFO Congress and what's going on. Do you have any thoughts about that? Do you think it's, uh, are we getting anywhere or is this just something to please the masses and then sweep it under the rug for another 70 years again? Do you have any comments on that? Sure. And all I can do is speculate. But my sure. my personal thought on that is I, I don't think there's any grand conspiracy there uh, on, on the side of the government. And I don't think there's any need, uh, a feeling of need by the government to please anybody. <laughs> Certainly not UFO, the UFO crowd. I don't think they they give a shit. But ultimately, you know, in, in this particular situation, and it's happened before, I think members of Congress are just like we are. They are curious about the same things we are. So if you have people who are who are curious about UFOs and these interesting anomalous events that are happening, and you have people come in and tell you, look, you need to look into this because this is a big issue and we're under attack and we need help and nobody's doing anything about it. Of course, they're going to go, well, that's interesting. I never heard about that. We need to look into this. This sounds urgent. They're going to go through the motions, do their due diligence. And in the end, I believe they're going to come to the same conclusion that everybody else who has done this, government or not, has concluded. And that is, yeah, there's something there. We don't know what it is. And we can throw all the money in the world studying this and looking into it. We're not going to come up with a conclusion. We're going to be able to say, yeah, there's stuff there. Some of it might be related. Most of it is not related. Most incidents are standalone things that you can't say, well, we solved this. That answers all of this because they're all individual and unique situations. So it's a futile effort. And I know that's frustrating for, for people like us who research this and are very interested in finding answers. I don't think those answers will ever be found. Right. I think we can find information here and there and we can help sort of build our own personal beliefs. But in the end, finding concrete answers about any of this, I think it's a futile attempt. That's why UFO studies are so 
damn frustrating and why so many people end up just throwing, tossing the hat in and saying, that's it. Can't yeah. do it anymore. You know, we saw that with the Air Force too. And and I get it. I mean, people like to give the Air Force a lot of shit, but they did invest, you know, a couple of decades into actually investigating, like going out doing field investigations and not just in military training ranges, like the little fake investigation they're pretending to do right now, but actual civilian sightings too, trying to, trying to do a, a study and then ultimately concluding, yeah, these things are real. We don't know what they are. We can solve most of them. There's a small percentage that absolutely have no explanation, but we're not going to be able to conclude anything if we continue this research. If you want to give us more money? That's great. But it's kind of a futile attempt at this point. Yeah. So they've already given an answer and people want the Air Force to chime in again because they didn't like the answer that was given the first time. But right. the answer is going to be the same. That's my opinion. Yeah. And what about the threat? You know, the threat narrative that a lot of mm -hmm. people... Some believe it is a threat. Some don't. Some have varying sure. opinions on that. What are your thoughts? Well, I, and I've, I've always felt this way that it's obviously a threat when you have an aerial object that you can't identify, right? That's what makes a threat. It poses a threat to, to any sort of air traffic, civilian or military. Um, you have no idea what it is or what its intentions are what what sort of what sort of business it's up to so yes in in that sense it's a threat just like a swimming pool is a threat if you don't have a pool around it and a kid's running around right i mean there are threats but at the same time we do have things in place to deal with those threats when there are unknowns in our airspace the faa does investigate they do scramble military fighter jets to go try to intercept those objects. These things happen. That's already the mandate of the Air Force. The Navy, they already do these things. It's not something that needs to be created and reinvent the wheel. Yeah, we don't hear about it because they're not saying, we chased down a UFO. That's just part of what they do. That's why they exist. So it's part of operating procedures already. But you know, lobbyists have, have created this big issue saying that, oh, no, the military is under attack and they can't defend themselves. It's not the military coming to Congress saying, help us. We're under attack. We don't know what to do. These are lobbyists saying there's an issue, not the military. So we have to think about that, too. I'm not trying to play the conspiracy game here, but you do have to look at the facts that we have and see what's actually taking place. Right. The military does deal with unknowns. And that, that's just part of what they do. It might not be the information we want. We want more information for them sharing everything about what they're doing in these situations. And yeah, it's pretty freaky when they go and try to intercept an unknown. They still can't identify that unknown. And the unknown outmaneuvers and escapes our attempts to intercept it. That is pretty darn alarming. And I think everybody should be concerned about that. So I do think those issues need to be highlighted. Military procedures and, and civilian too, and other, other branches of government too, the FAA and things, procedures need to be really addressed because as we hear with FAA audio that's released in some of these situations, people really don't, they're not trained to deal with this. It's not an everyday occurrence. Yes, UFOs are seen every day all around the world by people from all walks of life, but situations where they're are FAA involvement, military involvement, that doesn't happen all the time. So when it does, you hear these people scratching their heads, calling around to all sorts of different people, trying to figure out what do we do? What's the procedure? Right. I, I think they really need to focus on that and get people up to speed because there's a lot of stuff in our airspace.
it's like the threat is that the pilot's going to make a mistake, not that the UAP is going to take out the plane. I mean, with that kind of maneuverability, I doubt they're just going to accidentally crash into one of our jets, you know, like it, it would be pretty ridiculous. But yeah, to your point, if we panic, then that is an inherent threat, especially if you're sure. like a passenger jet pilot or something like that. Right. You know. Sure. Absolutely. And, and any sort of, it, I don't know. It's it's a dangerous game to play. It's a hard game to play because again, there is a lot of stuff just in, including trash, you know, in our skies. Um, even things like you know drones and balloons, things like that. The the unsexy UFOs that are a tremendous threat to you know our our, our pilots and 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 traffic in the air. Yeah. The UK has a, a great and many countries do, but the UK has a, a, an organization called the Air Prox Board. And that is their sole responsibility to investigate near near misses um, and and safety issues in the sky. And so they they have a lot of inter interesting cases where they investigate these things. Where sometimes objects do come in contact with planes. You know, you'll see the photos of like the nose cones dented in where they hit something. You know, whether it's a bird or or, or not. Um, there was one interesting case from many years ago where there was a a shark. They had a shark-shaped UFO uh, that caused a, a big, big hullabaloo with a, a commercial airline pilot. And they were seeing this over, over an airport in the UK. And it turned out to be this remote-controlled shark balloon, a shark-shaped balloon. It's called an air swimmer. That is a shark that swims through the sky, and you can <laughs> control it with a remote control. And who would suspect a shark to be in the sky, right? So very, very confusing, hard to identify, hard for the pilots to figure out what it was. But it was from somebody's birthday and it, it, it uh, you know, went too high and got out of range of the remote control and just kind of went, went AWOL. But, uh, you know, things like that happen. But even though those are the unsexy UFOs, they still pose a tremendous threat. That's why there are restrictions on airspace and where people can fly things like drones. Uh, but, you know, that's just one little element. Then we deal with the more unknown <laughs> UFOs yeah. and, you know, game on i mean any anything's a possibility that's why it has to be viewed as a threat and those things have to be addressed now there's a lot of um uh, critics that we need in ufology or the study of uaps because the thing is it's very easy for us to get swept along with a story or swept along with a theory uh, so having sure. people like uh mick west you know sort of push back it's a good thing uh it, but it depends on 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 uh I guess their audience, because I've noticed on Twitter now there's a lot more division than there's ever been, especially on the topic of UAPs. Uh, are you on Twitter at, at, at all? I sure am. Yeah. And at, what have you noticed on like just the, you know, people attacking Lou, people going crazy, uh, you know, just going off the rails on other people because of their theories or, or beliefs. It's almost like I've seen that in the religious aspect when I was in the Christian church. I've seen things similar to that, except they were a lot more polite about it. But it's the same bickering. It's almost like it's become a religion in itself and yes. the world, you know, either Protestant or Catholic, and you have to choose a side now. Have yeah. you noticed that in Twitter at all? I absolutely have. And I, I don't think it's a new thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think as social me social media matures and people get more used to it, it's it's becoming louder and louder, certainly, right. because people feel more and more comfortable to to be <laughs> uh, less, uh, less friendly, less yeah. polite with each other. But, uh, you know, that's it's not a not a thing. Uh, as you mentioned, religion, I mean, I, I have the comparison between religion and UFOs quite often. But uh, yeah, it's it's not something. Um, it's more of a human condition, I think. 
it it is humanity and in any section of social media you can see this you know whether it's uh you know star wars fanatics or politics or sports you'll see the same sort of hostility the same sort of religious taking sides like my side is the only way and your side burn in hell yeah um, you know there's a lot of that and i think there always will be that's just that's a human problem but i i, I don't necessarily think it's something that's new that's always been the case in UFOs. And, you know, I think with a lot of people who are new to this field and, and get very excited about it at the very beginning, like we all are, yeah. um, you know, I think it's really hard to understand that all of the information you're hearing, all of these people who seem to be these unwavering, very credible people who couldn't possibly tell a lie I, I've never met a person like that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're still humans too. And a lot of people get in this field and any other field with bad intentions. There are bad people. Right. There are a lot of bad humans. I, I hate to to give a spoiler alert there, but there are a lot of bad people. And UFOs, and I also dislike saying this on shows because I don't want to give anybody ideas, but the UFO field although it seems big, is very small. It's very small, but it's something that everybody in the world is interested in. Right. In one way or another, they have this fascination to this topic. So the UFO field is something that is extremely easy to become a celebrity in. It really is. Right. It really is. You can get on TV shows. You can be on, on the news. It, you can develop a gigantic audience very easily in this field. And that's what a lot of people have done because it is so easy. You can yeah. speak at conferences. I mean, I, I've been in a lot of industries in my life and this industry by far is the easiest. If you want to be an absolutely awful person and make yourself into a celebrity and just feed people absolute garbage and have them worship you, it's easily done. Yeah. So it's a very dangerous field in that, that sense. But a lot of people new to it do, do approach it like a religion and think that to do UFOs right, this is what I have to believe. These are the people I have to follow. And any deviation from that is wrong. And I have to, to be against it. Right. And that's just a dangerous path. And, you know, I, I don't tell people what to think or, or, or how to, how to act in this field. Again, it's up to everybody individually. It's very individual, but it's not a religion. We don't need to push our beliefs on other people. We need to encourage people to be open-minded and form their own beliefs. Yeah. And I think similar to religion too, people approach that seeking answers. They really want to know. Absolutely. And that's the only way they feel that they're going to get there. So people in the UFO field or people that are enthusiasts, they want to know. They want to take in as much material as they can. And as you mentioned, right, charlatans that are looking for one thing, it's very easy to put yourself up, write a bunch of books, do a bunch of conferences. All of a sudden you have these credentials. Well, none of mm -hmm. this is Harvard granted and none of this is military <laughs> metal based. It's just... Yeah. Hey, he's bigger than him. Based on what? Based on you like that guy more than that guy. And so it's it becomes polarizing because there are characters that want to be the savior. I have all the answers. I will show you the light. Yes. And the yes. audience is very much like those seeking religious fundamentals, right? They want to know the basics. Where do I go from here? I mean, we're all enthusiasts. Yeah. We do this for fun, but we still go and we're on the cutting edge of what's coming up next and who's doing and saying what. So, it, it, you know, it kind of takes over. But I think it's easy for people that don't have a good compass to maybe get on the wrong plane because it's a tsunami of information. 
And uh, I mean, the reason 100%. this podcast is to have legitimate guests and bring people yeah. at least some credible stuff in and amongst all the shit that nobody can corroborate. And we're yeah. very neutral. We're not opinionated. We don't say you're right or you're wrong. We bring everybody to the table because nobody has evidence. So who's to say you're right or wrong? And that's kind of the problem, too. Everyone gets a seat at the table now because you can't say that this guy who you know is full of it, you can't really call him out because you don't have any better proof than he does. So right now we're all sitting in the same bloody hot tub and we all have an equal say, unfortunately. And the more you dig into the history of this topic too, and the the players of it, you know, it, it really starts causing you to question a lot of, uh, you know, what you've established as your belief, you know, right. which is why you need to be willing to change your beliefs um, when you get new information. But a lot of the stuff that, that is like UFO history, um, established UFO history that we all just blindly accept because people have written thousands of books on it. Um, we see these people as, as uh, you know, celebrities or, or respected people on TV shows and speaking at conferences and stuff. When you look back, though, a lot of these, most UFO researchers don't agree with each other, even when you're talking about a specific topic. Let's look at Roswell. The leading Roswell UFO researchers don't agree with each other. And not just not agreeing with each other, meaning, okay, I think this happened, or I think it happened slightly different here, but completely different stories, completely different opinions of witnesses, completely different accounts, and going so far as to having, uh, you know, heated arguments and, and public feuds with each other about differing opinions of what actually happened and, and which witness could be counted on and which one was absolutely garbage. Roswell is an absolute mess. And <laughs> just for the cons conspiracy people out there, Robert Bigelow was one of the people actually involved in the initial Roswell research um, that Stanton Friedman started and, and Lee Spiegel back in the, the late 70s. So Bigelow was a part of Roswell as well. Right. Well, that's uh, that's new. I did not know that. We've okay. been hearing lots about Bigelow, even though he's kind yeah. of disappeared since NIDS and Skinwalker yeah, Ranch. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people still think he's pulling the strings behind the scenes and uh, either for his own patent and, you know, monetary. You know, if you could figure out UFO technology and you patent that, it's game over, right? You you will win as far as the Elon Musk and everybody in the race to whatever the hell Mars. You know, I, I in my per speaking of that, let me ask you, what do you think of this race to Mars? Because in my opinion, and I'm, I don't give it often, but it would be way easier to deal with life on Earth and fix our planet than to create an atmosphere on another planet. And it's like an eight, what is it, eight year one way trip? I don't think we're going to Mars. I think that's a cover for other space related things that are happening. And how do you explain shooting rockets off all the time? Oh, we're practicing to go to Mars. I think it's a bunch of bullshit, but that's my personal opinion. I'm curious to know yours. You know, being a being a space geek and a sci-fi geek, I've always been really excited about any of those Mars missions that have been planned. And there was a, a group called Mars One many years ago that had this ambitious plan to start a colony on Mars, the first yeah. Martian colony. And they even selected, you know, had a, a process of selecting candidates who were going to be part of this team to train and go to Mars and one way trip, you know, you go there, you're going to die there, yeah. but to set up and establish the colony, they were going to send all of the things to create water and create food and, you know, basically set up a civilization for people to then come and arrive at a, a set up colony. Um, of course that fell through, that didn't happen. 
But, you know, the same thing with with Elon Musk's plans. Um, You know, he's had his heart set on Mars, but he's also a big sci-fi guy. I think a lot of that is just rich guy with money wants to play. So be money. Yeah. I think the novelty of landing on Mars and walking on Mars would probably fade away within half an hour. Yeah, it would fade away within, you know, what's the longest flight you can take on the planet? Like 11, 12, 15 hours. That's eight years one way. Within six months, everybody kills everybody on the ship. That's just my, you think a a crying baby on a plane for two hours is too much? Stay there for, you know, three years with somebody. Nobody's going to make it. First capsules, (laughs) crash landing, everybody's already dead. Yeah. And I don't care how comfortable your seats are. That's going to be an uncomfortable flight. Yeah. Eight years. You can Very imagine spending long. eight years with your in-laws on a plane. I like my I in-laws, but I still wouldn't want to spend I eight years. I can't imagine spending that much time with anybody <laughs> in one sitting. That's awful. People die. Yeah. Some people are born. It's a whole yeah. different crew by the yeah. time you get there. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, just for the people that actually make it to Mars, that they find like, oh God, we finally made it. And you step off and it's a big deal. Just half an hour later, you're just staying with your hands on your hips going, well, fuck. Yeah, what have I this done? I know that flight but- <laughs> sucked, but can we go back now? Yeah, yeah. it's this is nothing but rocks. For- that flight was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life, but I'm I'm ready to go back. It's it's good. Another eight years. I'm not living here. I'm good. And the hard work me? starts yeah. when you land. Hey, yes. the flight was nothing. Now we've got to go to work. build a colony on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you can slack it off either. You die within a matter of days if you don't get certain things yeah. in place, right? So Exactly. Yeah, the pressure's on. So, yeah, to me, the whole appeal of, of going to Mars, uh, no, thank you. Not as the first settler anyways. At least we got no water way. and, you know, the basics here. How the hell do you want to start from scratch on Mars? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. No, you got to be somebody and let's, special. Let's, yeah. let's start with baby steps. Let's, let's start with the moon and see how we do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, what are your least... thoughts on the moon? Again, a lot of people say there's bases on the back of the moon. Remote viewers have been asked, uh, you know, here's some coordinates. What do you see? Sure. They describe like mile high buildings and apparently it's sure. on the moon. Moon's hollow. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. The thing I find really cool recently, there's been a few guys with really good telescopes, which the general public mm-hmm. can buy. Broad mm-hmm. daylight, just looking at the moon and you see stuff like coming off and like just floating away or random activities happening around the moon. I've I find it very interesting. What do you think about the moon? The moon, I, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen anything convincing about bases on the moon. And uh, you know, as easy it is for us to get excited about the far side of the moon because we can't see it from here. It has been imaged before, um, and there, there's nothing that that stands out to me. But I will say that. We know so little about this planet. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can't even start to say, oh, that's un- impossible on the moon because we don't even know what's going on on our planet. But the moon, for me, I think it still holds tremendous possibility for extraterrestrial life because it, like Mars, has a lot of, uh, you know, lava tubes, underground area where if we were to set up a colony there or even go there for an extended period of time, would provide humans with a lot of protection. You know, we could go down in these cave systems, set up, uh, you know, a city down there. That would be rad. And I think if there is life there, that's where it would be. Yeah. That or the ocean. Keep hearing about the ocean quite yeah, a bit. Place. So much water. water. So yeah. much water. Yep. And we barely know anything about the bloody ocean. Like we've mapped out a few things, but uh, we don't know. Like we haven't gone to the full depths of uh of the ocean so we don't know and and a uh, very small percentage of our ocean has been been explored and our yeah. the majority of our planet is water so yeah i mean i i think i think the mysteries of this planet and the mysteries we still have to discover on this planet you know are more than enough to keep us excited and i i wish people with with play money like uh, musk would would spend more here on this planet 
Yeah. Elon gets involved inside uh, UAPs. That'd be great if you can actually do something with that. That'd be awesome. But I've been yeah, trying to, to reach out to him on uh, on Twitter just every once in a while. You know, just mention him like, hey, it'd be great to talk about aliens. Uh, but I, I don't think you'll ever get a guy like Musk to, to come on UAP studies. No, he's, too he's busy. Gonna, I mean, he went on Joe Rogan and that's yeah. kind of his. That's thing. about as it as, as close as we're going to get yeah. to an interview. But uh, well, yeah, when you guys get gigantic, maybe because he uh, he does care about his ego. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We're not big on pumping up the ego, though. We like to get humble people on the show. We uh, there you go. There's, there's been go. people we could have had on the show and have been requested to have on the show. Yeah, we just don't want them on the show. They don't. Uh, sure. We don't do this for money. We could have monetized months ago. We chose not to. There's no commercials in any of our programs. You click a video, you watch the whole damn thing. You don't have to watch a Mazda ad or anything else. So now, if you're watching this 15 years in the future, that might be different. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. At As some of point, right it now, may become yeah. where it's a job and you have to do it. As yeah, it is right. for now, we do this for Absolutely. the love of it yeah. and for that desire to bring good quality people such as yourself to, to the the table, right? And and get their opinions. And on that. What are you kind of chewing the fat on now in your brain? Like, what's interesting for you? What are you studying in your personal time about the whole phenomenon? Is there anything that uh, that you're enjoying right now or, or learning about? Well, something that that uh, is really important to me right now and, and really piquing my interest is, you know, all the, something that we always talk about, of course, is the need for evidence and and the claims of evidence you know there there are the claims of all of this proof of of extraterrestrial technology um and of course crash retrieval programs um so for me my interest right now is tracking that down right seeing if we can follow these trails and really determine if a lot of what's being hyped up right now if there's any merit to it if we can actually track down some of these people who seem to be gatekeepers um, and have this knowledge, if there's any sort of sort of hint of truth to any of it, because as we know, this stuff has been been researched ad nauseum for for decades, and we still don't have anything. I mean, we've got plenty of circumstan- circumstantial evidence and things that you know, if you just want to trust people based on their word, that's great. And if that's good enough for you, good. Like I said, this is an individual individual yeah. quest. So yeah. good on you. But for me, somebody who's very evidence based, very science based, um, you know, I'd like more. So for me, that's what I'm looking into. Um, you know, and some potential television stuff behind that as well. So we'll see. Good. And we're in the same boat. We're interviewing Avi Loeb in a couple hours and we're going to basically ask him the same thing. Like you are a Harvard professor with money from the government and the Galileo project. Is it going anywhere? Are we actually going to get anything tangible? Because that's the purpose of the whole mission. So we're, uh, we're, we're less likely to be, you know, as okay with yeah, we're working on it. Everybody's been working on it for a long time. So is this actually gaining any traction, like, or is this just more of the same, right? So, but you know what I'm interested in, though, he's doing that expedition uh, right above uh, Papua New Guinea, right yeah. above uh, n- n- North Australia, and uh, it's going to be in the ocean. They're they're scanning the ocean yeah. for a crashed ship. So again, we have another ocean theme, right? Uh, we, pilots keep seeing them over the, over the ocean. Doesn't matter if it's Atlantic or Pacific. Yeah. Uh, l- looking for crash retrievals in the ocean. You got guys like Hal Pup put off that uh has been saying you know maybe they're ultra terrestrial maybe they've already been here maybe they live underwater who knows right um so that to me is interesting it seems like the ocean is it has a big key to play you know big role in this 
uh, whole theory of this of UAPs. They just happen to be over land every once in a while, but who knows what's going on above the oceans, right? I do love that. I, I was really excited when I saw that about the the ocean expedition because anytime there there is research into the ocean looking specifically for for some of this anomalous stuff that's exciting to me because yeah. as we just discussed the majority of this planet is ocean and we know so little about it so i'm i'm all for that 100 percent. yeah I, we- I heard someone the other day say hey you know we think that the, the earth is so much water even if you look at a, a globe you see how much water there is that doesn't even take into account the underwater river systems and mm-hmm. groundwater so to speak there's more water underground than we even know about right so that makes it that we're even less land and more water overall so and there's been weird things like in south america people saw a craft kind of hovering over a lake and like the lake level went down six inches the next day and they're like that's millions of gallons of water how does that happen so even in you know claims that can't really be corroborated water seems to have something important to do with it anyway. Right? I mean, it's as far as we know, it's the basis of all life. So they probably need it as well, you know? Well, absolutely. Source, we, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Jason. I was going to say as a source of energy, if they can use water. Or hydrogen uh, splitting or something, right? Yeah. Like, even there's that um, event that took place, I think this was Germany, where a craft landed and these little entities made a motion of, we need water to a farmer. He brought them a cup of, of water and he traded them like four biscuits or something like that for it. But they needed the water for some sort of reason. It wasn't because they were thirsty. I think it was because they needed it for their energy supply. Their wiper right? fluid. Their wiper fluid, exactly. Ah, damn, we're going to need some oil. <laughs> we got mosquitoes all over this thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and you hear about these uh, crafts doing these weird patterns above the water, the water being churned underneath it. Uh, even the Tic Tac incident, when yeah. he was describing this thing was doing something weird, uh, maybe that's how they reload on their energy, that it, you know, water is the source <clears throat> that they can use to convert to their, uh, you know, zero waste energy. So, and again, that's just a theory, but it's just a theme that we've seen occur quite a bit. So, yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about, you know, extraterrestrial life and astrobiology, water, water is gold. You know, that, that is for life as we know it, that's what, what yeah. we look for is water. So, and yeah. they found comets that have little pockets of like preserved water and the base amino acids that could eventually create DNA and things like that. So even with the idea that life could be everywhere, I mean, it doesn't maybe just needs that match. It needs the water and the amino acids to blend a certain way to start single celled organisms and grow from there. So maybe there is a scientific way to prove life. And, you know, if you look at the math in favor of extraterrestrial life or against it, it's so mathematically improbable, like because we exist, that's sort of what screws it up. The fact that we exist now mathematically, even if it is 10,000 zeros, 0.1, it's still a chance to say that there's no life anywhere else in the planet based on what? If we didn't exist, then that would be a fair thing to say. But the fact that it happened once means it's so much more likely that it's happened probably millions of times. And there's probably been civilizations come and gone that we will never even know about, right? And I love bringing it back to Earth because look at Earth. Every year, we're still discovering so many new species that we didn't know existed. Yeah, And we live here. I mean, it's ridiculous. So obviously, you know, we're going to discover so much more out there. But 
there's still so much about this planet we don't know. And yes, I think what, what we call aliens or what people are experiencing could definitely just be from here. I, I'm excited for the ocean expeditions. I really am. Yeah, I yeah, hope it comes to uh, some sort of fruition that we find something, at least treasure, if anything. Just find an old ship with treasure and at least it'll be worth it. But supposedly the equipment that Avi Loeb has is going to be really, really cool stuff. They're going to test it out and they're hoping by 2023, I think, uh, to have it out there to actually do the expedition and be see, amazing. see if they can find something. We were talking earlier about like how we're waiting for the Air Force to say something in regards yeah. to UAPs, for me, I'm also interested in the Department of Energy. I find that they're way too quiet on the subject, and I think that they have a huge role to play in some of where this, you know, uh, underground testing or trying to reverse engineer uh, mm. is taking place. I think the Department of Energy has a huge role to play in this. So they've been quiet about that. Do you have any thoughts on that as well? Like, do you think that uh, either the Air Force is working with them or that they're just doing their own thing separately but i think they're they're they have to be involved somehow right i completely agree with you i, I the department of energy is such a head scratcher when it comes to all of this um but when you look back through ufo history they they are definitely involved in some way they play right. a role um but also have been very quiet as you mentioned and i would that's always the thing I look for. Certainly in the preliminary report that came out, always did they did they get anything from the Department of Energy? Come on, we want to hear from the Department of Energy. So I'm I'm right there with you. I, I don't know in 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 what sense they're involved, but they certainly are. Yeah. Because you keep hearing that uh, you know, different crash sites that sometimes somebody mm -hmm. sees the uh, you know, logo or whatever from the Department yeah. of uh, Energy. So I always thought that's interesting. And if anybody had anything to do with these crash retrievals, the Department of Energy would be a great, great start to look at because it's that's what they do. They're looking for energy sources, right? So I know when you hear stuff like comments of we have the technology to bring ET back home, um, that sort of makes you question whether we've had this problem solved a long time ago. But because of you know, oil is still such a huge industry and makes the world go round. We can't transfer to that. Uh, what do they call it? Zero point energy or zero waste energy? Something along those lines. Zero point. Yeah. 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 Or, or carbon neutral where you're not producing any more than you're taking in that type of thing. Yeah. Well, even I, I found out recently that these, uh, you know, like the e cars and stuff like that, or the, the batteries, everything becoming electronic makes more waste and pollution than we thought before, right? Yes, there's no emissions to the cars, but to produce these things, it causes a lot of environmental yeah, harm. Yeah, there's more pollution mining lithium and nickel than that car will ever burn in terms of fossil fuel. And there's no financial savings either. And I can speak on this because I work in the automotive sector. If you buy an electric car because you think you're saving money, you're out to lunch because the you're going to spend... $40,000 or $50,000 on a hatchback with a 10-year lifespan because they will depreciate to the point of a replacement battery. Right now, a new battery is 15 grand. So that there won't be $500 beaters that your teenage kid can buy and go to his first part-time job. The car will go to a certain value, it will need a battery, and then it'll be worth nothing. So the amount that you're actually going to get use-wise and, you know, savings on fuel yeah there is some savings even the whole diesel question oh i drive diesel because it's better on fuel than gas but you spend eight to nine grand more for the diesel engine version of the car to save it at 10 cents a liter or you know 50 cents a gallon or whatever 
to make up the $9,000 difference, you got to drive that thing like 180,000 miles before you save a penny. There is no free or cheap energy, unfortunately, on the planet. That's a myth. And electric cars are already in the point of creating more waste than anything because what do you do with these dead batteries that you can't remanufacture into anything else? And, you know, fracking for lithium and all the rest. It's, it's harming the planet more. I'm not saying there won't be a cheap, you know, better source of energy. I just don't think electric cars is the way. And they even said, like, in the summer, there was places in uh, California that had to have blackouts. And only 30% of people were running electric cars. If we were all on electric cars, the grid wouldn't be able to, like, cope. Not even close. So I think it's novel to think it's going to save our energy problems. But my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to. Yeah, so I think flying crafts with batteries would be a bad idea. I think that's not going to happen for quite some time, just for that reason, right? Something goes wrong. Uh, but these crafts ob- obviously operate on some sort of energy level that is beyond what our understanding is. And I think that helps, obviously, the way that they fly. That's why when somebody says, oh, it's space garbage or air garbage, as recently as it's been quoted in the New York Times, I find that funny. I'm like, what is air garbage? Like, you know, we talked about that in the previous episodes. It's just a big bag, glad bag that's just floating. Like, what... I think a pilot would know a garbage bag from, you know, an object that's obviously flying around his plane. These guys are trained observers, right? So that when they say that these crafts are doing maneuvers that are insane and somebody says, well, it was probably a garbage bag or space garbage or seagulls, for instance, we heard the seagulls uh, theory. Uh, I find that funny. Like, Think a pilot thousand mile an hour seagulls. Yeah, I don't think a fighter jet would waste his time <laughs> going round in circle with a seagull that's just outmaneuvering him. Um, you know, some of that logic goes out the window to me. But uh, yeah, that's just my take on it. So, uh, Jason, where can people find you if they want to follow you and what uh, what you're p- producing at the moment? Is there anywhere that you recommend people check you out? Well, you mentioned Twitter, so I will throw that out there. I'm on Twitter at Acecentric. That's A-C-E-C-E-N-T-R-I-C. Sort of taking a uh, little bit of a break from my podcast, Unknown, and uh, everything else we're doing at Rogue Planet. Rogueplanet.tv is my website where I usually post everything I do. And and along with my other fellow weirdo colleagues, um, we explore all the strange. Um, but for the rest of the year, we're ba- basically taking a break. I've had a lot of things happen in uh, in my personal life and professional life that uh, really taken up all my time. So I'm kind of taking a break from all of it and we'll start anew in 2023. Um, a lot of big things planned. I'm still, still working on another book. I've um, got some TV stuff lined up and uh, going to try to do a, a couple, lots of couple more shows in the new year too, really looking, as I mentioned about, uh, you know, actual evidence and trying to, to dive into some of these, um, you know, a lot of the lore of UFOs and, yeah. and looking at the facts of it, because for, for me personally, and, you know, Roswell is something I've spent a lot of time on, but the more I've looked into Roswell and looked at the actual evidentiary value of a lot of what all of us just accept as truth when it comes to Roswell is completely inaccurate completely inaccurate, you know, in terms of claims of bodies and things like that. And, you know, we hear about these stories of you know, the whole town saw it and everybody in Roswell, you know, was threatened and they they were all scared and they all know that alien bodies were were taken out of there. The, the actual people who physically claim to have seen extraterrestrial bodies who were actually interviewed by researchers, I believe total in the number of four, um, so, you know, a lot of these grand evidentiary claims that have been made 
and have grown to to lore status, you know, just really aren't that when right. when you dig into it. So I I don't want to to make it sound like I've I've graduated into to being a debunker or anything, but I, I do know that where I am in my personal quest right now is I've been in this field long enough. And as I mentioned, I do like looking for things that can be validated, you know, and not just things that that are convenient for me to believe in because they might support my pre pre-existing belief. I want stuff that, you know, I can point to, I can confidently go on shows and and tell people about and, and you know, suggest that they they look into that too and consider that in their own evaluations. So that's that's really where I'm headed. And I think everybody approaching this field needs to be skeptical, not a skeptic, but skeptical. That's part of this process and being a good researcher is being skeptical because we're dealing with something that involves grand claims. It really does. And, and they're tremendous things and they're eye-opening and it's hard to not be taken aback when you know a high-ranking military official comes to you and, and tells you something this shocking. You, know, you want to take it at face value, but that's a dangerous game to play. And I personally have have been in that situation where I've had lots of government and military personnel personally come and tell me incredible things that later turned out to be absolute bullshit. So, oh, really? That sucks. Good to know. Yeah. Well, Jason, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Louis, do you have any final questions for our guest no, today? Again, just a, a big thanks to Jason McClellan. Uh, we knew you were a big mind. I've been bugging you for months to come on the show. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you for taking the time. <clears throat> I know you probably have a lot of things going on and other engagements you could have been doing, uh, but we do genuinely appreciate it. Love the way that your mind works and uh, how neutral you are on things. And uh, you're our kind of guy. So you're welcome back on the show anytime. And maybe next year with your new projects, uh, come on on and tell everybody what's going on. I would love to. Thank you so much, guys. This has been a blast. Thank you for harassing me so much. I really appreciate <laughs> it. You know how busy life gets. So I do appreciate your patience, guys. And this has been so much fun. Thank you. And I appreciate you.